Chapter Twenty Eight of Esther Reed Yet Speaking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Esther Reed Yet Speaking by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Eight. May she go with me? Of course she went, and of course, now that the truth was known, much was done. Doctor Everett was summoned. The wretched bed with its distressing rags were turned out together, and a comfortable one took its place. Broths and teas and jellies and physical comfort of every kind were furnished, and the doctor did his best to battle with the disease that long years of want and misery had fastened upon their victim. It was all too late, of course. It was true what Mr. Robert sadly said, that half of the effort, expended years or even months before, might have saved the poor tortured life. But now... How awful those two lates are! Isn't it a wonder that we ever take the risk of having one ring in our ears forever? There was one thing over which these Christian workers shed tears of joy. I am too late, said Dr. Everett, but my master has as much power today as ever. He can save her. And he did. The poor, tired woman, who years before had remembered an old story well enough to name her one daughter, Martha, in memory of the one who loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, roused her dull heart at the mention of his name, and listened while the wonderful story was told her that he loved not only Martha and her sister, but her own poor, sinful, wrecked self, loved her enough to reach after her, and call and wait, and prepare for her a home in his glory. Dear, why has not someone come with the news before? Surely she would have listened during these long sad years. Well, they made the way plain. Neither was it a difficult thing to do. The woman was weary and travel-stained and afraid, and longed for nothing so much as a place of refuge. She knew that she was a sinner, she knew that she was, and had been for many a year, powerless to help herself. Why should she not hail with joy the story of a great and willing helper? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. She opened her eyes with a gleam of eagerness to hear the words. Weary? Yes, indeed. Heavy laden? Who more so? If the call was not for her, whom could it mean? What else? Why, what, but the glorious old story, I will give you rest? What wonder that she closed her eyes and smiled? What wonder that the first words after that were, I'll come, show me how, and he showed her how. Dirk, the sister said, when the mother had gone the last and only restful journey of her life, Dirk, she went to heaven, and I'm going. I've been wanting to tell you for more than a week, but I didn't know how. He asked me to, and I'm going. Now you must. Because we never had a good time here, and she'll kind of expect it in heaven, and be looking out for you. She always looked out for you, Dirk. Then did Dirk lose his half-sullen self-control, and great tears rolled down his dark cheeks. But the sister shed no tears. She had serious business to attend to. Dirk must go to heaven now without fail. One day there was an unusual scene in the alley. It was no uncommon thing to see a coffin carried out from there, but on this day there was a hearse and a minister in Dr. Everett's carriage, and Dirk and his sister in neat apparel came out together and were seated in Mr. Robert's carriage, and all the boys of the Monday evening class walked arm in arm after the slow-moving carriages and the children of the alley stopped their placing and their fighting, and the women stood silent in doorways, and took, most of them, 
their very first lesson in the proprieties of life. "'She's got a ride in a carriage at last, poor soul,' said one, thinking of the worn-out body in the coffin. And another said, "'I wonder what poor old Jock would think of all this.' But the scene made its impression and left its lesson. I think the voices of some of them were lowered during the rest of the day because of it. "'What next?' It was the question that filled Mrs. Roberts' thoughts. Something must be done for Dirk and Mart. That fearful alley was no place for human beings, certainly not for these two. But what to do with them was a question not easily answered. Various plans were proposed. Sally Culkin's two rooms were much better than the cellar in which the Colson family had lived, and there was a chance to rent a room next to Sally's, with a closet opening from it for Dirk. How would it do to have them board with Sally? The suggestion came first from Gracie Dennis and sounded reasonable. Mrs. Roberts was almost ashamed to dislike it as much as she did. Sally's neat rooms were home now. The father, for this length of time at least, held to his pledge, and son and daughter were radiant over him. He had gone to work, and already the two rooms were taking on an air of greater comfort because of the little things that he proudly brought home. Sally was doing her part wisely. The table was regularly laid now, with a white cloth and knives and forks, and two cups and plates had been added to the dishes. Would it be wise to invade this home just at this juncture and introduce boarders? Mrs. Roberts did not believe it would. It was not as though the father had an established character and stood ready to shield his children. They were still acting the protective, and he had but too recently risen from the depths where Dirk and Mart had laughed and jeered at him. Besides, the rooms were located in that dreadful alley, and, do what she would, Mrs. Roberts could not feel that that dangerously beautiful face could find a safe abiding place in that alley. Some other way must be thought of. Their immediate future was arranged through the intervention of a house agent, for even that dreary and desolate cellar had its agent, who was eager to secure his rent. He was unwise enough to undertake to interview Mrs. Roberts as she descended from her carriage, not long after it had followed Mart's mother to the grave. He considered this effort of his a special stroke of business energy. He wanted to be patient with the poor, he said. There wasn't an agent in the city who waited for them oftener than he did. But business was business, and it stood to reason that he could not depend on a fellow like Dirk. It had been bad enough when the mother was there, but he couldn't think of such a thing as risking it now. What was he to understand? Did she mean to rent the room for them, and for how long? Because it was his duty to look out for the future. What would be more natural than for Mrs. Roberts, with those two young things looking on, to say that of course she would be responsible for the rent as long as they lived in the room? Thus reasoned the house agent. Instead of which, Mrs. Roberts turned toward Dirk, her face flushed over the hardness of the man who could stop a boy and girl on such business on their way from their mother's grave, and said, If I were in your place, Mr. Colson, I should not rent these rooms at all. They are not suited to your sister's needs. I am sure you can do better. The agent was disgusted. Mr. Colson, indeed. The disreputable young scamp whom nobody trusted. He would show this silly woman a fact or two. Business is business, he repeated doggedly. Either they must take the room and pay the rent in advance, or else they must hustle out this very night. He had waited now three days after time for decency's sake, and more than that he couldn't and wouldn't do. 
Dirk stood looking from one to the other, the red coming and going on his swarthy face. Here was responsibility. He had not thought of it before. His mother was not there to count out the hoarded rent with trembling fingers, and save the wretched home to them for another month. She would never be there again. He had nothing with which to pay rent, he had nowhere to move. Yet she had called him Mr. Colson, and seemed to expect him to act for himself and Mart. It was she who answered the agent, but spoke to Dirk. Very well, I suppose you are quite as willing to leave here tonight as at any time? If I were you, I would leave immediately. Let your sister come home with me for the night, and until you have time to make other arrangements. Mr. Roberts had been summoned to a bank meeting, and had sent Reed to attend his wife. He came forward now, from the carriage where he had stood waiting, and laid a hand on Dirk's arm. "'And you come home with me tonight, Colson,' he said in a cordial tone, such as he might have used with any young friend. "'Then we will have a chance to talk things over and make plans.' "'That is nice,' Mrs. Roberts said quickly, rejoicing in heart over Reed's promptness to act. "'Then you can get away from this wretched place at once.' Mr. Roberts will see to the removal of your goods, whatever you need, and the agent can call on him in the morning. That will be the simplest way to settle it all. May she go with me? A slight, caressing movement of a gloved hand on the girl's arm accompanied this question. Mart was silent with bewilderment. When had Dirk ever before been asked what she might do or might not do? At first she was half inclined to scorn the suggestion. Then suddenly it came to her with a sense of relief and protection. She was not alone. It was Dirk's business to think of and care for her. Would he do it? As for Dirk, no wonder that his face was deeply flushed. New thoughts were struggling in his heart. He was to decide for Mart. He was head of the home now. Mrs. Roberts waited anxiously. She longed exceedingly to rouse in the boy, who was already grown to the stature of a man, a sense of responsibility. A moment more, and he had shaken himself free from the spell which seemed to bind him. We'll do as you say, he spoke with the air of a man who had assumed his proper place and taken up his duties. Mart, you go along with her, and I'll see about things tomorrow. And Mart, for the first time in her life, received and obeyed in silence a direction from her brother. Possibly Mrs. Roberts may have been mistaken, but she thought that much had been accomplished that day. Yet none of them realized whereunto this thing would grow. Mrs. Roberts, when she ushered Mart that evening into the pink room again, and showed her how to manage the hot and cold water, and which bell to ring if she needed anything, and in every imaginable way treated her as a guest, whom it was pleasant to serve, had really no plans just then, no hobby to ride, but simply acted out the dictates of her heart, you will remember that her Christian life had always been unconventional. The very fact that during her early childhood she had been painfully trammeled by what they would say or think seemed to have had its influence over her later experiences. Since she had been made free, she would be free indeed, that is, with the liberty which Christ makes us free. What would please him, she resolved, would be the one thought to which she would give careful attention. Now it is perhaps worthy of mention that this closely following disciple did not once stop to determine whether it would please him to give such tender care to this stray child of his, nor whether she would be considered doing not just the thing, in his eyes, if she entertained her in the pink room. 
About what he could have her do next she gave much thought, and it was not for days, or rather weeks, that she caught the possibility of his meaning that the pink room should really be the girl's own. It was just this way. The weeks went by, and no plan for settling Mark comfortably elsewhere met Mrs. Roberts' approval. There was constantly some excellent reason why the one mentioned would not do. Meantime they became, she and Gracie Dennis, more and more deeply interested in Mart, in her wardrobe first. Wherever she lives she should have respectable clothing, this much is easily settled. So the matron decreed, and Gracie did not gainsay it. She became absorbed in preparing it. Such fascinating work! So many things were needed, and her skin was so delicate, and her eyes so blue, and Gracie's choice of shades and textures fitted her so precisely. Then, when dressed, simple though her toilet was, her remarkable beauty shone out so conspicuously as to alarm Mrs. Roberts whenever she thought of her in shop or store. Several times during the weeks she visited Sally Calkins and looked about her with a thoughtful air, and came away feeling that it would not do. There was Mark, growing into manhood, a good boy, hard-working, respectable, proud of his good homely sister, and of his reformed father. The two rooms were taking on every sort of homely comfort that Sally's skill, helped by Mrs. Roberts' suggestions, could devise. It was growing into a model little home in its way, but there was not a corner in it where Mart would fit. Then, as the days passed, a subtle, fascinating change began to come over Mart. She slipped quietly into certain household duties. She showed marvelous skill with her needle, such skill indeed that Gracie Dennis said more than once, I'll tell you, Flossie, what to do with her. Put her in a good establishment and let her learn the dressmaking trade. She would make her fortune in time. And Mrs. Roberts smiled and assented to the statement, but not to the proposition. There was no dressmaking establishment known to her where she was willing to place so young and pretty and ignorant a girl. But she was quite willing that Mart should learn the looping of dresses and the fitting of sacks and collars and ruffles, and take many a stitch for her as well as for Gracie. She was willing to have her do a dozen little nameless things, the ways of doing which she had caught up, until at last the touch of her fingers began to be felt about the rooms, and Mrs. Roberts began to notice that she should miss Mart when she went away. Still, from the first time she said this, the thought came afterward with a smile of satisfaction, and it was but a week afterward that she caught herself phrasing it, that she should miss her if she went away. What about Dirk? Young Reed could have told you more of him during these days than anybody else. He still stayed at the boarding-house. Mrs. Saunders, the mistress of it, was one whom, if you had known her, you would feel sure could interest herself heartily in such as he. There was a bit of a room next to Reed's. To be sure, it had been used for a clothes-press, and it took the busy housekeeper half the day to plan how she could get along without it, but she planned and offered it to Reed for his protégé. "'Just for the present, you know, until he sees what he can do, poor fellow,' she said, and Reed accepted the little room joyfully and helped fit it up. End of chapter 28 Recording by Tricia G.